Thanks, Eric. Eric is also teaching in Bridge 46 today. He's going to go tell the kids why community groups are important. No, I'm teasing. That's not what he's doing. But he actually is kind of pulling double duty. Not only is he one of our deacons here in the church, but he's also uh, leading today in Bridge 46. And for those of you who may be guests, my name is Chris. I have the privilege of being lead pastor here at the church. And Eric is one of our deacons, but he's also teaching Bridge 46, which is our ministry during the sermon, specifically for those who are in fourth through sixth grade. So if that's not something you're familiar with, they're welcome to join. Uh, right now they have a, a special message designed just for that age group uh, to really equip them for the days ahead in our youth ministry or to be a part of this gathering together as they transition from children's ministry into other ministries in the church. And we just felt it necessary to give some specific time and attention to that group. Excuse me just for a moment. nice to get the technical detail out of the way early on so it doesn't distract us later, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned that I have the privilege to be the lead pastor here, and, and I don't typically use that language, but I do want to draw attention to it today, not to myself, but to say that it's a privilege to lead a church with spiritual leaders like Eric, who are brave enough to do what seems against the trend in terms of momentum for our groups. And, and I just want to acknowledge how grateful I am for him, for the rest of our leadership team, for those who serve in various ministries, that it's a privilege to serve a church that has such courageous leaders at all levels, whether it's from children's ministry to our community group leaders to ministry team leaders, even those that oversee the variety of serving teams that are at work right now serving you whether you realize it or not. That's a privilege. And I want you to know that spiritual leadership in Metro Life Church does not rise and fall with me. I just get the privilege of serving them. And I'm so grateful that we have leaders like Eric. We have others who are willing to take this kind of chance when it seems like it's everything against quote-unquote church growth models that are all about numbers, and it's because uh, none of our leaders are more, what they do for the church is not more important than who they are before Christ, and so we want to be sensitive in those moments to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I trust that that's actually an encouragement to you today. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me or open your app to Galatians chapter 1? We're continuing in our series and today, we are talking about how you are free to be transformed, free to be transformed. The, the good news of grace frees us to be changed for his glory. That's what we're going to be looking at in the latter half of Galatians chapter 1. Last week, we opened up the series talking about how it is that we have been called to a new identity in Jesus Christ. And, and even today, as I was hearing Jan deliver such a powerful prophetic word for us in worship... I was thinking this idea of identity is something that is so important for us to understand in the church. For those who are followers of Jesus, it, it redefines everything about your life. The, the way that, you, that your starting point for your thinking, the motives with which you act, the, the things that you go about your day doing, they all fall under what might be called the lordship of Jesus Christ, but it's, it's complemented with this idea of who we now are because of Jesus' work on our behalf. 
It's amazing to think about, isn't it? There are so many things that try to claim our identity, and, and I have the privilege to actually know the story of a number of our members here in the church. And as I think about the stories and the testimonies that have led you to this point here today, they're not done. They're not done, but I I know the story that's led you to this point. For some of you, it involves a move. For others, it involves a radical transformation in your high school or college days. For some, it was a, a, a wonderful rescue and life. It literally saved your physical life and your spiritual life, this encounter that you had with Jesus. We talk about those in stories. In the church, we often refer to those as a testimony. We are testifying of something. We are declaring aloud as a public witness to others, but more than that, declaring the good news of God's work in our heart. So this morning, I think it's right for us to begin with our testimony of salvation. What is your testimony of salvation? Was yours one of those grand testimonies where your life was literally spared and your encounter in a hospital room with Jesus? Maybe yours is one of the ones that your encounter with Jesus happened in a jail cell. I don't say that because I'm going to draw attention to those individuals, but they sit amongst us. I know that to be true this morning. I also know this to be true. There are others who grew up in the church like myself, and your story in spite of your best efforts, does it involve all of those grand gestures of sin? And yet you've been saved nonetheless. Here's what levels the ground for all of us. However extravagant your testimony seems or mundane, we were all brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I don't care if you have the craziest story that I'm going to someday enjoy a Netflix documentary about or if you grew up in the church and Jesus revealed himself to you. We all share this in common. Transferred from darkness into light. That's an amazing place to start, isn't it? It's an amazing place to start and and sometimes we can struggle with this, this idea that we have to have some grand testimony. Over the years, many speakers have gotten in trouble for embellishing their testimony, sharing details about their story that aren't true. We see this in the business world when somebody has it revealed about them that their resume does not pass the test when people follow up on the things that they've listed there. In the sports world, we've seen coaches fired because they embellished their story. But here's the good news for us today. There's no need for embellishment. We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus Christ, and he alone is enough. And and today we're going to be looking at a part of Paul's life where he encountered Jesus, and it radically changed him. Now, let's make sure that we don't miss the point here. Paul wasn't kind of tweaked by Jesus where it was like, Paul, look at how 99% of your life is altogether. If we just fix this one thing, look at that, you glorify me. He's not just kind of making this small adjustment. He's not being tweaked. He's needing something more than that. He needs a radical transformation. And I wonder today, if we think back to our salvation testimony, and we think about today, what is the thing that God is transforming in you today? What is the thing that he is saying, I want that part of your life too? What's the thing that he's looking at and saying, my work is continuing and the Holy Spirit is revealing to you 
this is important for you to get right. We're not tweaking you. God, through his finished work of his son on the cross and the power of his Holy Spirit is transforming you. What is he doing in you today? Because that testimony stands true as well. We're not talking about life hacks. We're not talking about moments where we just have this realization of, you know what, I no longer want to live this way. We're talking about ways that we have become submitted to the good news of grace. And we let it take over an aspect of our lives that maybe we were clinging to, to say, this is this last aspect of control that I have in my life. And it needs to be submitted to him. Where is God calling you to be transformed today? Because the reason that he freed you was to transform you. It's what we're going to see in our passage. And as we begin to read, we're going to realize that only the gospel is what can transform us from the inside to the outside. So much about the world around us claims that you have to do this so that you can be transformed internally. And the gospel is a complete inverse of that. It says you will be transformed internally and then the way that you live will begin to reflect that. There are two other themes that dominate this section of Galatians. We're going to begin with the source of Paul's message, and we're going to look at the transformation of his life. So would you read with me? Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to end there for just this beginning part. Paul is acknowledging the source of his message, of his gospel message. I want you to know something, brothers. I want you to know the source of my message. It's important that we get this right. It's not from the human imagination. I don't think that the good news of the gospel of grace is something that we would come up with on our own. I think that too often we put ourselves at the center of being our own Savior. That's my natural bent. There are moments I was even just acknowledging a conversation with somebody yesterday. I said, yeah, this change I think is right, but it feels wrong because there was, I think the intention was right, but man, did, did the execution of it just really mess things up for the people I was desirous to serve. We can face those challenges at times, can't we? Where... We want to put ourselves in the center of the story. But man did not invent the gospel. It comes from God himself. Those who have received this good news, that becomes the source of this new identity that we're called to. In other words, it becomes the standard that we measure everything else in our life up against. This new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, last week I noticed that as I began to talk about the poison going into the water and nobody tried to stop me. When we add something to the good news of grace, it's like adding that poison to the water. A young man, I had a funny interaction with him after the service. He came to me and he said, you know, if that poison was more dense than the water, then it would have just gone to the bottom and it really wouldn't have been an issue. I said, you should assume I'm not smart enough to know that. It was a great interaction. It was encouraging to me that he was paying attention. But here's the truth. You add anything to the gospel and it's not the gospel anymore. Too often we seek to try to add something to the gospel. And let's recognize this. Scripture makes it clear. We are a spiritually thirsty people. I don't know about you, but between my allergies and the increase in temperatures, I find myself thirsty all the time. 
just physically thirsty. Especially if I'm out doing something in the yard, it seems like I can dry out just like that. My throat, my, my sinuses, everything kind of up in my head just feels like it's parched. My lips begin to feel like they're going to crack. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what our soul is like apart from God. We're not just dehydrated. There's no spiritual liquid IV that we can add to our life. We are spiritually thirsty people. And Jesus reveals throughout the Gospels, I am the living water that can satisfy your soul. I'm the living water that can satisfy your soul. You know, last week, Stephanie and I, we were heading out to lunch after the service, and somehow the three kids were doing something on their own. That's a new day in our house. And Stephanie and I were kind of sta- staring at each other like, well, what do you want to do? And it uh, felt like we were those birds on, on Dumbo, right? Where it's like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Don't start that again. And, and so that's kind of what planning felt like. And so we decided to go to Tin and Taco over off of Fairbanks. And Fairbanks is not that far from here. Just, just inside of Winter Park, just off of Park Ave. That's where the restaurant was that we were going to go to. And, and so I thought, well, let me just punch it into GPS and see what way it takes us there. And the GPS came back and it said, it's going to take you an hour and 50 minutes to get there. I thought, I haven't received any emergency alerts lately. No, that's a joke. Uh, I, I thought, I, I don't see anything that says that it's a, a, an accident. I don't see anything that says there's a road closure. I don't see anything that says that. But as I began to look at the route, I realized it was going to take us through this intricate weave through the neighborhoods of Winter Park. Now, that's a beautiful drive to be sure, but I'm not waiting two hours for tacos. It was going to take us through all these twists and turns, and it was going to take us this route that was just completely unnecessary. It was adding steps unnecessarily. If the gospel doesn't lead you to Jesus Christ, it is adding unnecessary steps, and it is leading you to a different gospel. I'm not talking about anything other than this simple truth. The Holy Spirit reveals to you, get to Christ quickly. That's what Jan's word was this morning. We as a church believe in prophetic ministry, but a, a main point in the church, in the gathered church of prophetic ministry, is not to point to any other direction than to Jesus Christ and to build the church up into that truth. Our spiritual GPS needs to be set not for the twists and turns of life, not for the ways that we are going to try to manipulate our way into receiving the grace of God, but get to Jesus Christ as quickly as you can, church. Start there. Start at the place where we get to Him as quickly as possible. Don't trust in the law of the Pharisees. Matthew 23 tells us that those who add lists and lists and things that we're called to do, they preach but they don't practice the things that they're talking about. They tie up heavy loads and they place them on people. Do not be burdened by something other than the gospel church. Don't add steps for yourself. Don't add steps for other. But church, get to Jesus as quickly as possible. Don't turn to the left or the right. Don't pass go or collect $200. Get to Christ. It's easy to say in here, isn't it? That conflict with your spouse, that harsh word with your child, that relationship that's fractured, get to Christ as quickly as you can. It, It requires us to humble ourselves. 
And this is what reveals to us that the gospel is not man's invention. The gospel was not Paul's invention. Humbling myself is rarely my starting point, is it? Maybe that's true for you as well. And yet, that's what the gospel calls us to, to get to Christ as quickly as possible. Let's continue to read in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 1. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You know, Paul's conversion is a good reminder for all of us of the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. Paul repeated this reference to the apostle in Jerusalem, suggesting that there were some who were claiming that uh, Paul had simply just kind of copied a message from headquarters in Jerusalem. They would have been arguing at that point, you know, we also have been trained at the Jerusalem headquarters, and we know that Paul did not give you the whole story, so let me add these twists and turns, these things that you have to do. There are other things that you have to do in order to be pleasing to God. Perhaps it's important for us to realize this morning that Paul acknowledging this, this revelation from Christ himself, not some other message copied from others, not from man. It kind of eliminates any claims that, that the false teachers that he was speaking out against could have said, you know, that's what Paul thinks. Um, but I, I want to draw your attention to something else. And, and what I'm drawing your attention to is really just as valid as what Paul is saying. His, his message is fine, but it's not really complete. His, his message needs some, some more to it. Because that's not really what the churches are teaching in Jerusalem. They were seeking to add to the Gospels. They were, they were detractors from the truth. Now, perhaps you've encountered your own versions of detractors in your life. Those who say, you know, I've, I've known you for a long time, and, and you don't really seem different enough for me to believe you yet, or to believe in this good news of the Gospel. I've heard about the church, and, and don't they add all kinds of rules for you to live up to? Maybe you've encountered detractors like this. I've got enough rules in life to think about. Life is already overwhelming enough. Why would I add religion to my already overwhelmed life? Perhaps the greatest detractor is in your own mind. 
where you take that concept of my overwhelmed life, my overwhelmed mind, and you're trying to think of how it is that you can add the gospel into the mix rather than realizing that the good news of the grace of God through what we summarize and call the gospel in the church, it is life itself. In other words, it doesn't become something that you add into the mix. It becomes the whole bowl. There's nothing else. Everything else has to fall into line. Everything else in life are the ingredients that are, that are mixed in there that you can, are called to flourish in, that you're called to uh, a particular role, that you're called to be in, in, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Too often we try to add the gospel in as if it's just this side something or other that we do on Sundays rather than recognizing that the gospel is life itself. It's your true life. It's the truest life that you can be called to. Church, I'd rather see a congregation filled with failures in business but those who succeed in applying the good news of the gospel to their lives. You may think, well, that, that sounds pretty harsh. It's because businesses come and go. But there is an eternal destiny that the gospel points us to. But we have to get right. I don't, want to, I don't want us as a church putting any of our hopes in our own efforts. Too often business and the things that we give ourselves to in the marketplace, they try to build towards something that is a kingdom of this world. How tragic it would be if we're a church filled with people who gain the whole world and, let, and yet lose our souls. You may think those words... Those words really ring true. It's because they're Jesus' words. They're not my words. That's what Jesus' heart is for you. Don't gain the whole world. Don't put up a facade for everybody around you. Don't, don't make it look like your life has it all together and lose the greatest thing, your eternal destiny. You know, there's no clearer example than Paul that salvation is by grace alone. It's not through your moral performance. It's not through your religious performance. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God working powerfully in our mind, working powerfully in our heart to change our lives. Now, everyone here, your story is unique. The things that, that God used to reveal himself to you, the people that you encountered along the way, I was hearing the story on Friday night at a wedding of, of a family here in the church. And they were telling a hilarious story about a, a grandmother who would yell, Lock the door, she's coming again! And now they've become a family in the church that you just heard from one of the deacons in the church who's a part of that family. See, Lock the door, she's coming again led to a church that's flourishing because they encountered a living Savior. That's good news for us today. Your story may not involve trying to lock someone out of your home. But there are important similarities that we all share in the revelation of Christ to our hearts. Let's look at Paul's life and the way that he kind of breaks it down in this transformation that happens in these 11 verses here at the end of Galatians chapter 1. We're going to see his pre-conversion his conversion, and his post-conversion. So we start with his pre-conversion. We see that Paul recognizes he was a man in need of grace. Paul was actually a, a classic example of somebody who had sincerely held beliefs that were 
sincerely leading him the wrong direction. His misdirected beliefs before becoming a a Christian. And here's the truth. Sincerity in your religious exercise is not what saves you. Sincerity in those moments, if you don't sincerely believe in the truth, you will be sincerely wrong. That's what Paul is acknowledging. It's all of grace. Let's not be a church that's consumed with religion and miss Jesus along the way. Paul was in a desperate situation. We might look at him and say, well, he's beyond the hope of the gospel. I mean, look, he's murdering people. He's persecuting the church. He's trying to kill the church that God himself died for. He's in a hope. He's beyond hope. He's doubling down on his wrongness. And yet, here's the truth for us today. If the gospel of grace is enough for him, it's enough today for you and for me as well. No matter what you've done. So we see him in his pre-conversion state in need of grace. And then we come to this place where there's his conversion. Verses 15 through the beginning of 16 show us how God's work of grace is in his life. Now, like many offices that might be represented here, the workplaces that you're in, we have a website that, that has traffic that we can view analytics on. Those are numbers that I'm generally aware of. I'm not driven by them by in any way, shape, or form. But it's interesting how at times a company will try to come in and sell us a product to help with our conversion rate. Interesting use of term. Conversion rate in, in web analytics often has to do with the sale. And you know what? That's when I have this wonderful opportunity to say, we have a completely different metric for that word. Conversion rate means something entirely different. And you know, in the midst of letting them know that they're not going to get a sale here, I still get to present the good news of the gospel to some of the salespeople that will call or email or, or come into the office. No, our conversion rate means something different. It means something entirely different, but let's make sure that we understand conversion rightly in the church. Conversion involves something like this, God's intervention. It's not something that we're just working an algorithm. It's God's intervention. In verse 15, we see this, but when God, so in the midst of that conjunction right there, we are seeing the good news of the gospel. Many of us will kind of summarize it in two-word phrases like this, but God in Christ. It's a wonderful way to look at this chapter in Galatians 1. To understand, but God who is rich in mercy, but God who is pouring out his grace on you. God intervenes and there is a conversion that happens here. It's a divine intervention. The gospel itself is a rescue mission toward me and toward you today. God intervened in Paul's life. He's done the same for all who believe. Gospel conversion involves God's intervention. It also involves his eternal planning and his gracious calling by seeing the glory of a crucified, risen, and ascended Christ. That's a conversion worth keeping track of. That's a change worth keeping track of. Paul in verse 16 says why it was that he was converted to reveal his son in me, it says. To reveal his son to me, to you also. Through me and through you also. Don't miss that. 
See, don't, don't miss the connection to Easter Sunday when we were challenged to ask this question, how can I glorify God in every circumstance that I'm walking through in life? How is it that I can glorify God? You see, much like Paul, for those who have believed, God wants to reveal himself to you in the midst of that moment, and he wants to reveal himself through you in the midst of that moment as well. When we live our lives for the glory of God, we say that we are finding the satisfaction of our life in something other than this world. We find our satisfaction, our hope, in something that is a day to come. And it informs how it is that we're going to live today for the glory of God. Are you displaying the glory of God? Are you displaying and glorifying Jesus on this earth with the way that you're living your life today? So we've seen his pre-conversion, we've seen his conversion, and now let's look at his post-conversion. He was a man in need of grace. He was a man who encountered the grace of God. And then we see after his conversion, there is a faithfulness that he seeks to live his life out with. Verses, the end of verse 16 through the end of the chapter begin to do this. Paul says in verse 16, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Christ now lives in me. It's not something that he went to go and verify with others. And it kind of points us to what we're going to see next week as Shane brings us into Galatians chapter 2. And the week after that as Seth takes us into Galatians chapter 3. We're going to see verses like Galatians 2.20 that says, Christ lives in me. And the mystery of conversion is that after you come to Christ, you are not yourself, but you are truly yourself. After you come to Christ, there is a new I. It's the I who no longer lives, but Christ who lives in me. You have a new identity. You have a new source of power as well. And we share in the responsibility, as Paul saw, to make Christ known to others. Notice that he just gets about the work. I've received this good news. I want to tell others about it. I want to be a part of the work that God has called me to. And I want to get right to it. And this passage just causes us to kind of stand amazed as we think about Paul's journey. What many of us in the, in the world today would refer to maybe his spiritual journey that he's on. That spiritual journey isn't just him kind of being tweaked here and there to say, man, Paul was a really good guy. He just needed to get a few details of his life right. And then God was really able to use him, as if that's the way our spiritual journey works as well. No, Paul was radically transformed in the midst of this gracious work of God. Paul summarizes God's work to the Corinthians by saying everything is from God. And we would certainly say amen, especially when we're gathered together from the church. But when we say amen, we need to make sure that we're considering Paul's story when he was... Before his conversion, he was a fanatic headed in the wrong direction. When he was converted, it was all of God's grace from beginning to end. Nothing was added to it. And after his conversion, we see the story of a man who is faithful to proclaim Jesus, who is the one who gave him the message. And here's where I think it's important as we're considering him going from persecutor to preacher. We have to ask the question, where might God be seeking to make this type of radical transformation in my life today? Let me ask the question this way. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Have you slowed down enough to listen? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? You've been freed for this reason to be transformed. You're free to be transformed. The good news of God's grace frees us to be changed for His glory. 
How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning that he's calling you to be changed? You know, many times we'll talk about someone sharing their testimony. We talk about it in three points, and it's kind of what Paul has given us an illustration of here. There are many that would extend it out to five points from the book of Acts, but I think it's helpful for us just to see these three points. Before, encounter, and change. Before, encounter, and change. You know, there's natural ways that you can fit your conversion story, your testimony, your transition into the glory of God in everyday moments of life. When you're interacting with others, you don't just have to have a salesperson trying to sell you conversion analytics for your web traffic. What if you were to just simply say something like this? Tell me about a time when, and then maybe something that you know about their story. Maybe you're going to say something like this. Tell me your story of this. Maybe you want to ask them, can you describe the conversation when this happened in your life? Imagine the doors that will open up that you're able to share things that you've encountered in life. Maybe much more gracious than that, the ways that you've encountered the grace of God when you get into a conversation, you have no idea what to do. And the grace of God rushes in. Maybe you can prompt like this. Tell me about the day when you realized this. Or what were the next steps that got you from here to there? How about this one? How have you changed in the last five years? You may think, like, I I feel like everything's changed in the last five years. Do you know that in this passage, those 13 verses that we just read, Paul is summarizing 13 years of his life. See, it's easy for us to kind of get into a sitcom mentality when we come into church and we think, wow, we read these passages. Chris is actually going to get done on time today, and I'm going to look at this and think, well, that's how my life should change as well. Unfortunately, we hold this against one another in, in, in our relationships with one another when our expectations for change have this meter that's much higher and faster than the way that the Holy Spirit actually works in somebody's life. And that can lead to tremendous damage in our relationships, can't it? When our expectations are high and yet the Spirit's working is slow. Those can be tension points in our relationships. Don't have a mentality of short and sweet and to the point when we read Galatians chapter 1. That's 13 years of transformation. So when we're asking somebody, how has your perspective on this changed? Or how have you changed as an individual in the last five years? Realize there may be works that happen really quickly. In a moment, you will encounter the living Christ, and he will, he will deliver you from something. He will heal you from something. And then there are other ways that his testimony is going to work in you, low and slow. And he is just going to continue to work and to roll. And we need to be the ones who are intentional enough to look back on our lives and say, in the last five years, in the last year, in the last ten years, in the last decade, what has God done in my life? It's also a wonderful time to take inventory of the ways that he is continuing to call you to himself. You can continue to prompt conversations where you can ask and invite these types of conversations to share your own story. How do you see yourself? Oftentimes, people will reveal how they see themselves, but when you ask them how they see themselves, you will hear a radically different story in the way that they live to show themselves. It gets back to this idea of identity that Paul is after in Galatians chapter 1. Two more. 
before we come to a close. What was the pivotal moment for you in life that led you to this point? You could even just say, is there any part of your story that you've wanted to tell me about that you've never mentioned before? Maybe as you're developing a friendship with someone, a relationship with someone. Those are wonderful ways to to prompt conversation that reveal what we see in Galatians chapter 1. We are spiritually thirsty people. And only Jesus is the living water who will satisfy. I think about the community group update that we heard this morning. That Metro Life Church is a community, but it means that we don't just have community groups, that we are community groups. And it's intentional that I'm, I'm parroting language that, that Eric has used because I think it's important for us in the same way that we don't want to see the gospel as an add-on to life, that we don't want to think about community groups as an option for us as a church. Living in community, we get to ask these questions of one another as well. But our starting point is radically different, isn't it, than sharing our testimony with the world. Our starting point is your identity is already in Christ. How is he making you more like himself right now? How is he making you more like himself? So even as we're not taking a term off, per se, we're spending a season over this upcoming term to pour into our leaders. I'm excited for that. But this is so that the individuals that make up this church, this gathering that you see on Sunday morning, I don't say this for numbers' sakes, but the hundreds that join us online each and every week as well. It's so that we, not just the church leaders, but it's so that we can seek to be faithful to Jesus. It's so that we can seek to be faithful to his church, so that we can seek to be faithful to his mission. And this is a part of how he calls us to his mission. He calls us by the good news of his grace to be free, to be changed. But he also calls us to share that with others. Consider Paul's testimony. When God changes a life, there is always a testimony. Do you share yours? If you do, how often do you have the opportunity to do that? Or is there an individual that might come to mind that you would want to share your testimony with? Before, encounter, and change. It's a simple formula. But I don't want to live a formulaic life. I want to see the glory of God in in those little moments in between. I want to be intentional with my faith. And, And can I just offer a few things? Tell your story, but don't just talk to people. The gospel is not a discussion. The gospel is not a debate. It's an announcement of good news. And so when you're telling your story, you can just talk to people like it's normal. You don't have to preach in some way. You you can be specific. You can be clear about the good news of the gospel. Be simple. Use plain terms. Be honest. Don't embellish your story. Be brief. I mean, we see how Paul covered all of these years in this number of verses. Be selective. Only say the important things. Follow a progression. Be logical. Your life before Christ, how you came to know him, what your life is like now, be humble in the midst of that and glorify God and not yourself. And let God do the rest. But we are called to plant and water. If you want to do something else, pray for the salvation of the person you had the opportunity to share with. I think it's important for us to think through our testimony. And and, and I had a sense today that that this is what the Lord wanted to do as we come to a close today. I'm just going to ask you very simply, I'm not going to do kind of a, a, a 
testimony call or I'm not going to have everybody come up or share anything like that. I'm just going to ask you very simply, only for the purpose of being able to focus on what the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you right now. Would you just close your eyes with me in prayer? Let's just take a moment to be intentional as a church. I just want to walk us through something, if that's okay with you. We're not presenting, we're sharing. We, we may have the opportunity to tell someone this week, it doesn't have to be a total stranger, it could be a coworker. it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor or a family member. If you were to start out a line, may I tell you how I came to know Jesus, and they said, I would love to hear that story. What would you say? You're not presenting. You're just sharing your own story. But the Holy Spirit's at work in that moment. The Holy Spirit's at work in that moment. You can share that with care and with boldness. Do you have that picture in your mind? How it is that you came to know Jesus Christ? Who it was that you were talking with in that moment? Maybe the place that you were? Maybe the passage you were reading? The moment and the desperation that was going on in your life? For some, it may have been years since you've talked about this because you prefer to look like you have your life all together, especially when you're gathered with the church because there's this assumption that that has to be our starting point. I'm not encouraging us to be gritty as a church. I'm not encouraging us to look and just say, look how messy we are, that glorifies God. No, the grace of God that is big enough to cover that is glorious on its own. Do you have a picture in your mind? Now let me ask you this. Where is God working right now beyond your salvation? Where is He working to sanctify you? Sanctification is a process. We are justified through Christ alone. We are changed into His image for His glory through the process of sanctification. What about this? What, what has God been after in your heart in the last few days? How's God been revealing himself to you in the past few weeks? Just let that come to mind right now. How is it that over the past few months your perspective has changed on something? What about the last few years? Has the grace of God become more real to you? more palatable, more tangible in moments of life when you find you have come to the end of yourself and there is the grace of God so readily available, so free. Where might be the testimony of relationships that have been restored? We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. What, what are the, t the stories of where you've had the opportunity to walk through with friends reconciling with one another just as Jesus reconciles us to God? What about those ways that in relationships you've had opportunities to be an ambassador of a kingdom that's not of this world? Are there ways in your relationships that you've had the opportunity to be a servant of someone and that is a story of the grace and the glory of God? You're not highlighting yourself. You're saying, this is what God has called me to and it's a privilege to be a part of that. As you continue to just have your eyes closed and as we're just listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit, are there ways that you've been changed that, that Christ does call lordship over? 
when he says, I want you to serve me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Are there ways that your heart has been softened to him, that there's a sense of change in your assurance of your faith, of assurance of hope to come? That can be your testimony. Are there ways that you've experienced change in your mind, in the way that you think, in the perspective that you have on life, in the way that you engage with certain things in our culture? Has something changed, and that's a testimony of the grace of God? What about your behavior or your actions, the things that you give yourself to? There's been a change in your strength. The grace of God is changing your behavior and your actions. What about the gifts that God has so freely poured out on us? We experienced a wonderful gift of prophecy in the church. I can say this with full assurance. I didn't ask for permission to share this about Jan, but I can say this. That was such a wonderful testimony of growth as Jan shared with us this morning. Because God has been speaking to her for years and she's just beginning to step out in boldness and Jan... Thank you. That's a testimony of the grace of God. Where is God pouring out his grace through his gifts? You see, we're talking about the gospel of grace in Galatians chapter 1. And in the original language, it uses the phrase charises, which is where we get charismatic. But he has the gospel of grace has poured out grace gifts. Where is the gospel of grace stirring you to receive the good gifts that he pours out on us? Everybody has one. Do you know your one? Is that where your testimony of the grace of God is at work in your life right now? What about the ways that we talk about love, grow, and share as a part of our mission here in the church? Are there ways that in your stage of life that God is calling you to a deeper understanding of what it looks like to love, grow, and share? Is there a season that you're walking through that is testing your ability to love others or to love God even? Is there a season that you're walking through where you're being called to grow exponentially? Is there a season that you're, you can look back on and see where God has called you to growth? Are you in a season of life where you have the opportunity to share what's going on? One of my favorite things to hear, such an encouragement to my own soul, is when I hear of members in hospital. They share the good news of Jesus with everybody that comes in the room. It's always a privilege when everybody on the floor knows the room I'm looking for because everybody has heard of the good news of Jesus in that moment. That's a testimony. Right, do you have a testimony of victory over sin? I once was given to this. And because of the grace of God, I have been released. Does the temptation remain? Yes, but it does not reign over my life. That's a testimony. Have you experienced the grace of God in community? As you've, you've interacted with other believers and you've seen how it is that they love, grow, and share, and, and their life sets an example for you that you might be challenged to do the same, and you look at that and you just go, what a vibrant relationship they seem to have with God. And instead of looking at that as something that divides you, you kind of lean in and you say, I want to seek after that as well. That's a testimony of the grace of God at work in your life. Now let me ask you this question. 
as we finish this, this moment, this exercise as a church. Who is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind for you to share with right now? Who's the individual, the family, the coworker, the group of people that the Holy Spirit would be prompting to your mind to share? For the last few minutes, we've been intentional to think about our testimony. You can open your eyes, and if you would, just go ahead and stand with me as we begin to prepare to worship God together. For the last few moments, we've been intentional to give our thoughts towards sharing of the good news of grace that we've received. I don't know about you, but any time that I do that, I, I took a little bit of time to go through that exercise every day this week. And every day that I did that, I, I saw something new about the good news of the gospel in my life. Every day that I did that, I saw something new about how I can share things about what God is doing in my life. And my hope is that taking a few moments of intentionality right now, it begins to lead to additional moments of intentionality. Not because you need to do something for God, but because as we're reminded of His grace, as we are reminded of His goodness, it begins to spill out into our lives. And that's my prayer for us as a church, that our testimony would begin to spill out into our lives more than the moments that we face, more than the attitudes that we may be tempted to have, more than all of the things of this world that we can be giving ourselves to, that the testimony of the grace of God, no matter how long or short that period of time is, would be what begins to spill out in our lives, and that we would share that good news with others for the glory of God. Alone.